Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm sitting down to have a chat with Simon James Williams, who's the Managing Director at CAR Australia in New Zealand. In fact, uh, only recently, re relatively recently appointed. So welcome, Simon. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've been in the role since October. So um, it's definitely been a whirlwind, but it's been absolutely fantastic. So thanks for having me. So two big changes then in October, because you mentioned that uh, yeah. you got married and you took on this big job. I did indeed. Yeah, I think it was a, a six day difference. So I, I definitely accepted this job and then got married in New York, actually, wow. um, in, in six days after. So trying to get 65 people over there. Um, and kind of you know steer this ship was was definitely um, a challenge that I, I don't think many people would experience ever. But well, you great. clearly <laughs> like multitasking, you know, or or at least taking on big uh, projects. So yeah, I definitely you know, do. Yeah, absolutely. That, that sets you up well for this role, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, it's a it's a very large organisation, lots of momentum, um, some really great clients, projects. But yeah, definitely love multitasking and getting into the detail. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to what's next to come. I suppose. So media, why mm. why are you working in media? <laughs> Is it an accident or did you plan it that way? Um, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I don't think you find anyone that really, I don't know, maybe back from, from when, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I started really goes, yeah, that's actually where I want to be. But yeah, a little bit of an accident. Um, I, I walked past Steak Media in Covent Garden in London. They had a big bull in their kind of, um, in their office. And uh, I saw it and I sat down in their office and waited for someone to say to ask me if that was okay. And then I just said, I want to work here. Um, and a lovely lady who's now very senior and I won't give names away, um, invited me to come work over my summer holidays um, and uh, paid my lunch. And that was it. I got hooked. Like it's just the creativity, the, um, the absolute you know, drive for, for betterment, innovation in particular for me is an absolute like, catch cry that I just lean right into um, has led me to exactly where I am today, which is ironic because... Um, seven years ago, I, I joined Cara, and now I'm back in the hot seat. So uh, it's definitely pretty exciting to come full circle and you know see an organisation all the way through, and then eventually land back in a position of, of leadership, which is really really exciting. Well, I know earlier this year, uh, Cara um, published a report on the trends and the year of connectivity. Yeah, let's get to this year later. Sure, but let's go back. Mm. and look at some of the issues that the, especially the media industry and media agencies have been dealing with. Sure. And I guess the first one, because it keeps getting voted as the word of the year by the ANA and, and various other trade journals yep. or trade media, and that's transparency. And of course, you can't talk about transparency without trust. Sure. What's your view on transparency? Transparency at the moment um, definitely is uh, one of those words that comes up often, um, and we don't shy away from it. I think that uh, transparency for me is is underpinned by trust, but it's also underpinned by equitable partnerships. When a partnership is equitable, um, there is always um, a fine balance between what does a client really mean by transparency? Um, you know, as we mentioned as we walked in here, you know, disclosure is one of those really interesting words as well that we need to have a look at. Where Transparency for me can extend everything from um, user access to certain tools and systems all the way through to the rates in which they're charged through transparency through a legal document or contract. Um, defining what those parameters are and how far that extends is something that we, we do hand in hand with our clients and make sure that we uh, open up the kimono as much as they need to see um, and, and make sure it's equitable. I guess that's my problem with the word is that 
from a very literal interpretation, things are either transparent or not. You know, mm. you, you use the uh, the often referred to metaphor of opening the kimono. Mm. It's sort of a glimpse could be way too much. <laughs> and you've already been transparent. You don't have to be completely naked to mm. show everything. And that's the issue here is that, you know, where's the degrees of transparency? Because, you know, I look through a glass window and it's either clear mm. or it starts getting murky. Sure. And that's the danger. As soon as you work, walk away from completely transparent, you get into a murkiness mm. which has those overtones. And, and I think it actually does more harm to trust as a term than disclosure does because disclosure is, well, what do you need to know? You can mm. actually have a trusted relationship or a, a partnership, as, sure. as you might refer to, where you can have a conversation around disclosure. What do mm. you need to know? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, how transparent do I need to be yeah. for you to be comfortable? Yeah, I agree. And I think that we, we abide by you know, the standard set by multiple industry bodies. So whether it be the, the AANA, and we're often asked at the moment to abide by the standard terms of AANA contract, which we're happy to do in the full disclosure of what the client does require and need. Um, I think it always comes back to that point of it's a client by client relationship and it's it's done individually by with those clients. Um, and we abide by the standards to make sure that we, we can be as transparent as possible. I think one thing that really builds into this is we want to live by the standards of the industry so that we don't have any reason um, to come under any scrutiny um, for not abiding by those standards. And I think that's kind of a key thing is that we are working at pace to ensure that that disclosure is there. Um, there's nothing to hide. Um, and ultimately, if, if clients feel more comfortable in, in having a little bit of extra information somewhere or over here or you know this clause in the contract, it's it all comes down to that equity and partnership and a negotiation too. Um, but as I said before, the things that the industry are asking for at this stage aren't too transparent at all. We're okay to provide most of the, well, actually in fact all, of the requirements up to a AANA standard. Mm. And that is a collective uh, input from a number of advertisers that have put mm. into that. I wonder if though some of this is not also driven by the fact that the, the actual legal relationship between, for instance, your agency and your clients mm. has actually changed because we talk about a media agency and yet I'd imagine there'd be very few of your contracts that are actually principal agent relationships. Mm. They've moved heavily towards uh, contractor relationships and in actual fact a contractor has no responsibility to be transparent unless it's specifically deemed that way mm -hmm. but an agent does almost every agent who is yep. working on some sort of commission does have a requirement to be transparent about that commission. I agree. And I, I talked about this with my, my leadership team the other week when we were doing a bit of kind of, um, you know, how to handle some of these conversations and make sure that the team are upskilled and trained. And, you know, uh, we're finding that the, the media leadership that should really be talking about the innovations on a client account are, are sometimes burdened with these conversations and need to navigate them. But we're also finding that our clients are evolving their contracts into being, in some instances, contractors, which, you know, is absolutely fine if a client wants to go down a transaction route of working with us or has a very specific need that's absolutely fine to look at our menu of integrated services and choose and pick where we fit in but an agent of principle completely couldn't agree more and we're finding that clients are really getting smart about the relationship that they want to have with, the, with an agency and that comes down to the brief we find that the the RFP that we're receiving based on contractor based on agent and principle are so different um, and we're actually finding that the industry 
and our clients are beginning to understand that that mutual equitable respect that goes into those partnership agreements are the only things that are going to keep us thriving. Mm. And I found that this year alone, the the difference in the way in which we're being briefed um, in new business has drastically evolved. That's great. Like drastically evolved. Mm. Um, One client in particular, who I can't name, has taken a completely fresh, really exciting approach where it's almost left us to focus much more on how do we drive the results and the bottom line benefit to them as a, as a business and put the rest of you know the fee, um, put our legal side of it right out of the process and leave it as a separate um, um, tactical together, but not a negotiation point. Yeah, that's fantastic that's because it means they're moving away from a cost model yeah. to an investment. Well, it comes back to that value versus cost. And I think at the moment, any clients that recognize the value that we drive, we're a smart business that have very clever people. Um, The quicker that we, you know, as an industry orientate back to value, the better. And I think that clients that want to work on that, I will have them coming in the door every day of the week. That's that's exactly where we want to be. And do you think that will extend? You mentioned value and cost. Do you think value and cost will extend beyond the relationship with the agency, with Cara, Mm -hmm. to also looking for where the value exists within the media um, uh, owners offering as well. Because there's been a lot of pressure, not just on agencies to reduce cost, Mm. but also to look for reducing the cost of media as well. Even though, uh, as we know, media is not a commodity. Mm. There is high value media properties. Absolutely. And then there's a increasingly huge amount of garbage as well. Yeah, I think there's, there's high value people that we also have at Cara. Um, so I think that we're also not a commodity, um, but neither is our industry and, and we can't be treating it in this race to the bottom on cost. I think that, you know, have you ever heard of a success story where you race to the bottom on costs? Um, ultimately? Let's cut your way to success. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> not I mean, really. It, it, it's sometimes... You can cut your way to profit, but not long term. I, I agree. And I think that sometimes it's a bit of a, a symbol that any kind of business or industry that, that is cutting cost is almost bottoming out. We need to find ways to They're in to trouble. Be, yeah. Um, and we can't do that. Our only investment that we, well, not our only, our primary investment is in our people. Good people is going to differentiate us from from who um, from what our competitor set are. But if clients um, are looking to to get value out of media, that's absolutely fine. We, we, we benchmark and do that all the time. And it, it helps if, as an agency, and clearly you are, you're willing to be held to a measure of value based on results. Correct. We yeah. will absolutely, on, on probably every single negotiation we walk into, um, you know, put a performance-related incentive program behind it, you know, PRIP, um, in which we are um, not only benchmarked against service in the way of you know, 360 reviews, um, but also um, having an equitable partnership that you know, if we do really well and we exceed on the bottom line, um, you know, why shouldn't there be some shared risk in that? And similarly, if we don't, then we'll put our money where our mouth is. And I think yeah. that's an exciting proposition um, that, that guides our industry towards better outcomes. At a team level too. Well, a lot of preps in the past, especially for media agencies, have been based on how cheap you buy media. Yeah. You know, buying uh, positions yeah. has been... Do you think that actually helps or hurts the industry? Um, that's a really good question. Um, helps or hurts? I think quite provocative words there. Um, I think that ultimately um, it definitely helps procurement on the client side to, to drive the best um, and, uh, you know, I suppose, better outcome for the business. Would I say it's responsible? I think that um, I worry that if we continue to keep going down this cycle of constantly reducing costs and coming down harder on um, on, um, on our investment, 
is, is going to create a challenge for the industry as we look for then more formats that have higher impact, that are larger scaled. I think it's a fine balance. We obviously need to drive efficiencies and effectiveness through media, and we will always benchmark and measure against that using third-party sources and provide transparency and disclosure against it. Um, but there's something to be said in making sure that we also look at the high-value innovation products and, and leave room to also innovate there too. Well, because you know, almost any media agency I've spoken to said it's pretty easy to win a pool or win a benchmark if you know what the, uh, the criteria is. And so, you know, in the past, uh, purchase planning and trading decisions have been made on winning the pool mm. rather than necessarily achieving the outcomes that are required. So, you know, for instance, if CPM for TV is used, um, they know how to not buy um, zone one or high profile uh, media options and they'll go for the you know the lower rating, but they'll still get their reach and frequency through accumulated reach. Yeah. But the frequency will go through the roof. You know, there's always strategies mm. that there some are. of these KPIs... But it's it gets wor- But it gets worse when we get to digital because if you want to buy the cheapest possible impression, yeah. it means that you start having to give up some things like you know, brand safety. I think, or even having yeah. a real person view it. Yeah, I think it's naughty. I mean, we, we definitely don't, definitely would hate to even think or suggest that we cheat um, when it comes to those pools. And I think, again, comes back to trust and transparency. We talked about this full disclosure. Um, and I. Yeah, but sorry, Simon, but the client has set the criteria. They've said, I'm going to bonus you based on delivering the cheapest possible media buy. If it's a client's decision to do that and, and has made an actual call to, to go after the lowest end of that pool and look at inventory that has to work twice as hard to achieve even a, a viewable standard, there's always going to be a rebuttal in that from us. That is, that's bad for their brand um, and our position on brand safety and transparency is, is to obviously ensure that we make our publishers accountable to that. Um, if a client's driving you to make those decisions, there has to be a conversation, which is around why. Why are you trying to do this? What's the achievement from this? Is there a much better way that we can seek to, to redeploy that investment? But um, oh, well, education's the, key. The, the usual answer to that is we don't want to pay too much. For a digital asset? Yeah. If you don't want to pay too much, there needs to be a different look at what the ecosystem is. Like where, what channels are we selecting and why that are meant to hit the bottom line objectives of the brief? Um, and ultimately, if you're going after inventory that isn't viewable um, or in fact lives on sites or you know, in placements that aren't going to drive an outcome, why? The question simply comes back yeah. to why. Yeah. See, it was interesting, wasn't it? March last year, I think it was, March 2018, uh, the Times newspaper listed all of the uh, major brands that had appeared in you know, either uh, terrorist, pornography, mm. gambling, you know, all of the wrong uh, environments yeah. online. Mm. And while there was the initial shock of, I think, Lloyd's of London, Lloyd's mm. Bank was one of the brands that were there and everyone's going, that's terrible. Yeah. What immediately happened is, oh, well, it must be the agency's fault. <laughs> and, um, and that's why I think the idea of brand safety, well, yeah. I understand. It's actually really about brand love from mm, my correct. perspective. Yeah. Yeah, how much do you love your brand that you want to protect it? I think absolutely right. And that doesn't just leave itself to digital. It's, it includes full brand love, right? We're looking yeah. at the entire brand and everywhere it's Everything sits. you do. Correct. Too. And um, I think sometimes we get a little bit too focused on digital brand safety and love when it's actually what is your total brand love or brand safety strategy on, on all channels. So um, I would say that 
yeah, if you're appearing against pornographic sites or you have been against content that you shouldn't have been against, where are your brand safety protocols, first of all? You know, has that been a sign-off process for offline? But then digital, you know, for, the, for the base of Australia and New Zealand, we use IAS, Integral Ad Science, um, where we not only do brand safety tracking, but we also do blocking. So that helps um, as much as possible. But for the sites such as, you know, even YouTube, they've invested a hell of a lot of cash into making that a much safer environment. But there's always room yeah. for error. I mean, user-generated content is always going to be the killer. Well, it's um, hard to rate it, isn't it? Well, that's where you have to make the decision as a brand. Do you go, well, that 1% risk is just too much risk for us? In which case, you then scale your inventories, pull down, and you have to look at other ways which are safer to get the impressions or, or the eyeballs you need. So the reason I raised the idea of brand love is there's also on YouTube, by the way, mm. a very interesting uh, video about procurement. Okay. And it's a procurement guy and he's on the phone to the dentist and he's asking, well, how much would a filling cost? And, well, okay, could it be cheaper if I don't have anaesthetic? And, you know, um, and what if, well, you don't fill it, you just pull it out. What yeah. would that cost? And he's getting the price down by going through the options. Yeah. And then you find out it's a procurement person and he's finding out the cost because his wife needs to go and visit the dentist. <laughs> and it's a really quite humorous but yeah. also very pointed view on if we actually value and love the mm. brand that we've created or we're um, being responsible for mm. managing, why do we then turn around and focus on the cost without necessarily all the considerations on what we're actually doing? Yeah, I'd agree. And I think that you know, if an agency does get the you know, the pointed finger is of, you know, your responsibility. Yes, if you are the principal agent and you have bought and booked that media, then absolutely we should be held, uh, if not accountable, responsible at the same level as, as our clients. And the education is key, right? Understanding what are the protocols, what are the ways in which we can protect this brand, and also an acceptance of that risk and a value against that risk as well. Um, there, there are so many instances of, of clients going into a situation blind, you know, not within CARA, um, and we need to educate them as to, to all of the risk associated mm. with being everywhere. Um, and we started that journey years ago, and I'm really pleased to say that we're in a very good spot. Um, and as part of our global media partnerships, we lobbied hard with YouTube to ensure that they up their game, and, and I'm pleased to see they've actually met us at the party, which is nice. Yeah. Well, they're certainly addressing the issues. They are addressing the issues. They're There's always there. that risk, though. They're not there yet. <laughs> always that risk. Now, a few times, Simon, you've mentioned the you know the quality of the team at Cara. Yeah. Um, but one of the big issues for uh, the industry, mm. and not just for media agencies, but the whole industry, mm. is talent acquisition. Yeah. But also talent retention. Correct. What uh, what do you have a solution? What have you been doing or what uh, do you recommend is the solution? Because we're seeing a lot of people either not choosing to go into advertising. You happen to walk past a office that mm. had a ball in it that uh, <laughs> attracted you. But, yeah. you know, there is a lot of other opportunities, you know, tech companies, mm. uh, all uh, investment, all sorts of areas yeah. that really bright, creative people are being attracted to. Yeah. Then the second area is then if you can attract them, mm. how do you keep people? Yeah. Because you know we're seeing time and time again really uh, highly experienced, sometimes expensive mm -hmm. people leaving the industry because yeah. the industry just can't sustain the... Um, being able to keep them. Correct. And I think it's not just a problem contained to Australia or New Zealand. Mm. We're seeing it all around the world. 
Um, and I think it's a real challenge that um, as a global industry we have to tackle. There are a few things that we're definitely doing at Cara that I'll get onto you know, specifically in a minute. But you know, a, a key area that we have focused on is we, we just got ranked again, which is wonderful, by the AFR as a top graduate employer. Um, and we're really proud of that accolade as we're investing in, a, in an industry that needs to grow from within. And it's about attracting the right people, but also attracting the right capabilities. You know, not so much anymore are we absolutely dedicated and focused on advertising and marketing degrees. And it's about a range of specialism capabilities and nurturing that talent to be able to use that full brain model as we talk about quite a lot. I think a key part of retaining talent um, is respect. Um, it's an alignment to values as well. We, we stand for being ambitious, pioneering, agile, ensuring that when anyone joins our organization, they are able to match their um, own values with ours is critical because otherwise if you don't match them then you might not be the right job for you. We need to make sure that you're on board on that journey. Um, I think as an industry we, we have to work together as an MFA, as an industry body to, to nurture talent, to continue to educate talent, develop talent as well. But agencies need to take responsibility for their own talent as well and ensure that if an opportunity presents itself outside of the network, whilst that isn't ideal for us, we also need to make it clear that uh, you know someone's career develops in, in a nature of different ways whether it be through diversified services. So, you know, someone introducing um, an idea of going to Isabar, which is one of our sister agencies in digital transformation, that's a wonderful skill set. That person can leave Cara, go to Isabar after you know, two or three years and bring that skill. We're all down for that and vice versa. Someone wants to come from, you know, um, a web experience part of the business, I'd also take that because introducing clients to these services and, you know, allowing them to see a broader spectrum beyond media is critical. Outside the day today, there's loads of things we're doing. Um, you know, just to give the, the industry some insight, we're looking at flex models, making sure that people with you know sport commitments, mothers, um, fathers, or anyone um, who has kids or, or needs a relationship with with their working and home life um, that requires them to, to take time off and during the day, we're introducing those programs. Really simple. You know, if there's trust with your employees um, and transparency, and you know, we're kicking goals. There's absolutely no reason why someone shouldn't feel the freedom to work flexibly with us. All other range of things, DNI, super important. It's come up all throughout last year. Um, really, it should just become a part of what we do in our DNA. We launched Anne Proud, which is uh, a program I head up, which is our advocacy group for the LGBTQI plus community. Um, so making sure that we've got trans, intersex policies, um, training for, and awareness um, across our ally communities too. Um, and then we also extend all of our programs across a whole different range and lines um, of things that we do. Um, and it's all about bring your whole self to work and enjoy your job beyond just doing your job. Do you think one of the problems, and we've seen this, especially in the last decade, mm. is that when you look at the structure of most media agencies, mm. they've flattened their organisation, which is a good thing, except that you end up with lots and lots of graduates, mm. you know, and let's say there's 100 people in the, the agency, you could have half of them are graduates. Yep. Then there's the first layer, the second layer, the third layer, and then you've got the like yourself, the managing director. Sure. So there's only five levels, which mm. is more than reasonable. Except that there really is no path for those people. And it's almost like if you make it past the first two layers, then you may actually survive to, to have a career in media. Mm. But in actual fact, that, that uh, flattening and that quite um, shallow pyramid mm 
means that it's hard to consider possibly for those people and enter it as a career to have a long-term career, actually have a career yeah. path. It's an interesting take. I, I do understand it. And I, I think that um, you know, there's this notion, and I'm inverted comma fingers going on here, that there's there's the hard yards that are expected. And I think mm-hmm. that our industry is moving away from that. I, I don't believe that we should be hiring graduates to sit in front of Excel for the first two years of their career. In fact, if anything, we want to be bringing in those level of candidacy um, and having them jump in feet first and be working on where their specialism or skills are. So. Um, I would say that as an industry, um, there is most likely a movement towards, and everyone's coining it this way, as agile. I spoke to a client this morning, loved what she had to say, which was, well, if agile is the answer, what's the question? Mm. And I was like, oh, that's a really great flavor and take on it. I think if you look at the way in which technology businesses are surviving um, and are really developing from an Uber to a a Google or a Facebook, the idea of um, a matrix reporting organization is one in which I think that, you know, should we be able to build a business case that's strong enough is to not just report to your line manager for everything, whether it be your workday submission for time off to I have a client concern, a contractual concern, I've got this, that and the other. It's about going to the most appropriate person in the organization of 1800 people that exist across Dense Regis Network and finding the right person to be able to get the job done accurately, timely um, and you know, in the interest of our clients. So I would say that um, we are breaking down legacy structures um, I talked about this quite a bit, which is not only legacy structures with the clients and contracts, but also making sure we innovate the way in which we're building brands um, and also defining new ways of working. And so we're finding that some teams will organize themselves in a hierarchical way um, based on the nature of who they are. There are some clients that are doing full service teams. We have um, others that were doing implants. So our team actually working in that office as an extension of the marketing team. I think as long as we keep our mind really open um, and Know, begin to introduce agile methods much better we're going to work yeah because we we really um have embraced the idea of team of teams which is mm. a theory around uh self-organized self-aligning teams mm. of expertise working together yes so uh, you know i think that's where people are going to answer mm. your client's question what was what was the question if mm. agile is the answer we live in a complex world which you've already mentioned the thing about that complexity is that the traditional siloed models mm. are not adaptable enough to be able to respond to what a complex world throws up. Yeah, and so agility is purely being, and, and you know, people misuse it, they think it just means faster, mm. but it actually means to be able to adapt, to bring the resources within your organisation to the problem when the problem occurs. Not to sit there and go, oh, we've got a problem. Well, let's plan for the next six months on how we're going to restructure Mm. to actually do that. But to have agility to be able to answer or respond to opportunities and problems in in real time. That's exactly what our clients want. And I think I've used this line before and I'll I'll probably use it for the rest of my career that our complexities are not our clients' problems. And I think that really refreshingly, Henry Tasia um, joined our uh, organization on Monday and and even in his initial company address, he talked about the ambition of being integrated um, and having respect and integration across our business. And that's, if anything, a rally cry, which is, you know, the one thing that is going to, to help our clients better is integrated services um, that answer a business problem. 
The flip side to that is your client's complexity is your problem. <laughs> <laughs> it always will be. When we get paid to do that, right? To navigate those complexities. So like, I, I actually, I for one personally love a complex problem. Um, so I'm all down for it. They're the big juicy ones that are actually <laughs> fun when you crack them. Love it. Yeah. Mm. Give me as many complex problems as possible. Um, yeah. And I think that the, the quicker we uh, orientate ourselves at Cara to being much more around business solutions with the effective use of media, um, the more exciting our world's going to be and the much more exciting speed for new talent and retaining talent too. Get out of the day-to-day of just focus solely on achieving something through reach, frequency, and take a bigger picture and a step back. Um, yeah, I reckon we've got some fierce competition um, that's gonna, you know, it's all around us, but we can step up and we have already stepped up. It's exciting. Now enough of you know where we are. Yep. The trends for 2019 and yeah. the, uh, the year of connectivity or the yeah. expanding connectivity. Tell us a bit about it. <laughs> we are super excited. So we, we commissioned a piece of work. We, we commissioned pieces of work probably, well, we have done for the last 10 years, actually. 2009 was our first trends piece that we released. And put that in context, of that was before Uber, before WhatsApp. You know, we were here publishing trends. So we're pretty good at this now. Um, and we have stated that, you know, 2019, expanding connectivity. Um, and that's probably with the introduction of 5G networks. Um, you know, notably US, UK are really kicking this off at the moment. Um, but we really wanted to take a, a rally cry of, of 10 key trends for people to watch out. So you can find them online if you wanted to. There's a little uh, plug there. Um, but a few things oh, such no, as... I'm happy to put the link. <laughs> so we'll uh, put that into the, uh, into the podcast. Yeah, great. Um, we focused uh, late last year on... Um, data consciousness as a project as well, where we did a, a good national tour, understanding you know, what is um, what is trust and data consciousness and, and how much data do you give away? So when everyone walked into to the room and signed up for Wi-Fi, little did they know in their terms and conditions that they'd pretty much given up their firstborn and were actually going to war. Um, and that just goes to show how many people don't read the T's and C's of all these Wi-Fi um, obligations. So it became a really good research piece for us. So we used our internal systems to be able to predict what, what that would be. So in 2019, we looked at a few things so um, life as a service is one so we're going to be seeing brands with that strong proposition or or that daily weekly usual cycles really kick off so coffees taxis entertainment this real um you know what life beyond uber i suppose mm-hmm. what else can become life as a service as well um and then there's tons of other themes that we've began to explore in here as well so what are the ones that get you excited uh definitely contextual commerce I'm really excited about the personalization of experiences. Uh, I think that advertising and media has a pivotal role to play, but the more that we're allowing the usage of our data, the the more that we're going to see integrated, full customer experiences. I think this year as well, and a trend we haven't noted, is probably the the rise of seeing the benefits of full-stack technology. I think... um, one of my clients said uh, a few weeks ago that the one thing that could get a CMO sacked the quickest is integrating a full stack of technology. Because it takes years to pay off and you really have to understand how to get the best out of it. But I think that now we're beginning to see that tipping point of, okay, everything's sat on a technology stack or everything is talking to each other through a data lake um, or a data swamp. Um, <laughs> how do we use it? How do we, make, how do we make consumers more aware of our products, cross-sells, upsells, integrated reach, um, so again, contextual um, commerce is and how huge. to make the customer's experience like seamless Amazing. and desirable. One hundred percent. Well, that's what a brand should be playing in, right? Is every interaction with a consumer should be one of innovation, excitement, and beauty. And um, you know, I don't want us to lose touch ever at Cara um, with with the our consumers. Ultimately, we serve a message, and it should be the right place, right time, the right experience 
can add more and more onto that if you kept wanting to. But um, yeah, and I think that some of our, our top 10 trends, we're really encouraging clients to take a look under the hood um, and begin exploring those those areas in a bit more detail. Um, jump ahead of the curve. It's, uh, it's interesting, the concept of connectivity, because mm. you know, I think it's one of those things that happen, has happened to us as a society mm. without people really understanding the, what that means, mm. like you enjoy the benefits or the um, the, uh, the the mishap, uh, or don't enjoy the mishaps, yeah, and not realise that in fact we're more connected than we've ever been before. Oh, absolutely! I, I was really privileged about two years ago to go to Mountain View with Google, and we met there. I think job title was chief evangelist, um, and he talked through the fact that you know every time you put a search into Google and the fact that it was able to return you know over something like twelve million results in less than a second is nothing short of a miracle. It, 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 the, and now we expect that you know if my Uber's not here in two and a half minutes, ugh, cancel, get another. Um, and the the expectation of the consumer on the experience has become one at which where is that tipping point? Um, and I often look at the Gartner trough of disillusionment to have a look at where do consumers um, you know expect place uh, things to be versus where they're actually at. And there's this notion of a, a precipice where if you are unable to keep up, you will eventually fall off the edge of innovation um, and not be able to achieve against what consumers' needs are. So. I think that we have a real fine balance. And with 5G, um, I think, uh, what was one of the key stats that I walked away from? Something along the lines of um, back in 2013, if you try to download a film, it would take 26 hours, as now it takes like 20 seconds. Mm. And that is just, for me, like mind-blowing numbers that we're in a world now where it's seamless. You can have it when you want it, whenever you want it. See, it's interesting because I remember all of those presentations where they'd show you, um, you know, Uber, has uh, disrupted... Oh, a bit the, sick of these slides, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, you know the one, yeah. disrupted the taxi industry. Yeah, Airbnb. And, yeah, Airbnb, the hotel industry. Yeah. And it was because of technology. Mm. It wasn't because of technology at all. It was actually making the customer experience mm. more seamless and more enjoyable. Life as a them, service. Yeah, That's life it. as a service. Life as a service. And yet technology was the enabler. Absolutely. And yet you hear time and time again, you know, when you're talking about full stack integration... Mm. Right, we hear about people focusing on the technology because it's exciting, mm. it's you know, it's new, mm. and yet what hasn't changed is all that is is a tool to deliver better a better customer experience, giving yep. people what they want, when they want it, how mm. they want it, before sometimes they even know that they want it. Just connecting experiences. Yeah, I think that's yeah some of the best ideas that the industry's ever had are the most simplest, and these are simple ideas that just connect. Two, two entities together. Now, on that idea of connecting, because mm. um, one of the things that people talk about a lot is the idea of media and creative agencies getting back together. Okay, interesting. Yep. And uh, connecting the content messaging with yep. the... And look, anyone in the industry would absolutely agree that the two work hand in hand. You mm -hmm. can't have great media and no content, and you can't have content unless it's distributed through some sort of media channel. Agreed. What's your view? Um... I can't make a statement on kind of what the, the architecture of our business may well look like. And that's, you know, Henry on board now, really excited to see um, his approach. But, you know, flavors in his, his key address were around integration. And I think that absolutely aligns to the fact that ultimately what we're trying to do is put a piece of content, regardless of what it is, whether it be a podcast, a spoken word, um, or a piece of advertising in front of someone um, in the right place, right time. So that content led um, by data and creativity 
is the, the holy trinity. Um, so I'd absolutely agree that if, if a media agency is not already working hand in hand with a creative partner of a client, whether that be an external agency to the, to the holding group opportunity um, or internally, that we need to absolutely remedy that and fix it. Um, you cannot have good content without good data and without good placement. Otherwise, you've got the, 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 the tail waggling the dog. Um, doesn't so work. So it's interesting because you know, we see a lot of creative agencies go back to the old model of bolting on a media function into the creative process. Yeah. The thing about that, and when I started in the mid eighties, mm. it was you know a one hour meeting would be fifty minutes about the creative strategy <laughs> and the creative work, mm. and then ten minutes of oh well, there's the media. Is is that fitting with the budget? Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. You know, it was always the the tail of the dog. Yeah. Rather than the dog. Yeah. Sure. Right? Um, the, and, and when people talk about putting the two back together, it was actually Harold Mitchell, who mm. is a, still, I guess, in some ways, uh, uh, reflects a shadow over uh, Kara and, and uh, Dentsu. Mm. But he said, you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. Okay. You know, that once it's separated, they could never be back together again. The, the reason I'm um, sharing this with you is that recently I've been really excited about the fact that people are not putting the toothpaste back into the tube. Mm. They're reinventing the way of working. I was about to say that. 100% agree. And also the, the, the view that Harold has, muscle respect his opinion, is um, very much that we're in a world now of unlimited data and creativity. And I think that maybe we hadn't considered the possibility of a data-led organisation that's able to have data-led creativity. We're integrated across all platforms. So I think that the world, the world's moved on and changed and we yeah. are innovating the toothpaste. <laughs> so so um, Hearts and Sciences in the US, MDC Media Partners, and, and there's examples mm. that I've heard of around the world. Yeah. When they work with creative agencies, it actually starts with data mm -hmm. from them and the insights from that from the media agency yep. so the client's brief comes in they go straight to the data yeah and who has more of or access to more of that than anyone else the media agency absolutely i mean our proposition you've got first party from the, the client yep. you've got second third party you've got proprietary data you've got all the data in the world mm -hmm. from that you then get a view of the marketplace insights into the marketplace that informs the overall comm mm -hmm. strategy informs the creativity and informs the channel planning absolutely and i think uh, to say our proposition is real people that's underpins everything we do is, is a real people proposition and and at carry believe in the spirit of firsts and so that real people density that we're able to drive is is a catch cry right it's a one-to-one -one relationship with the consumer if we're able to unearth those insights compliantly through gdpr um, and also through all of our tools techs and systems then ultimately why wouldn't you use that data seems a bit seems a bit daft to me um it's an area where we can drive creativity and vice versa though creatives absolutely understand you know the, the best ways to entice a consumer it's the two um together in a room with a client's ambition that is just magic and and love it so they're the really good environments to be in because um you get all that full brain thinking otherwise it's just you know one side of the pie and we need to make sure that we bring all the all the mix together so you can see this already as a uh, a trend that's happening 
I can see clients more and more uh, are integrating the way or workflows um, of, of how we um, come together. And if clients aren't, then we're innovating and asking them to work in a certain way, which brings uh, multiple um, capabilities into the fold. But it's not just creativity. It's technology. It's sports marketing as well. They're very different sets of capabilities that need to, at certain times, be brought into the mix at the right time. Too. The whole shebang. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the quicker we can introduce what could be, um, you know, right at the edge of the comfort zones where the magic happens. Absolutely. Mm. I've just noticed the time. It's been uh, a terrific conversation, Simon. I really appreciate it. Thanks for making the time to uh, come by and have a chat. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, just uh, before we go, who do you think will be standing up there winning at least one of the three Media Agency of the Year awards this year?